you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hi there, my name is Janine Garner and I am the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. This podcast is all about exploring the concept of what is unleashing brilliance. And I explore this concept by sharing other people's stories, Uh, people that have built successful businesses, careers, amazing authors, philanthropists. What I try and uncover on this podcast is understanding what makes them successful. What was the tipping point for them to unleash their own brilliance? So you'll find in this podcast me sharing their real stories, where it all started right through to where they're at now. And I'm super excited to share with you today's guests. Uh, Today's guest is an incredible woman called Antoinette Colbram. She recently published a book called Great Handbag, don't forget your briefcase. But her story is one of going from uh, incredible wealth to overnight losing everything. Moving from a life that is wonderful, that's jam-packed with houses and holidays, cars and yachts, to suddenly having to start all over again. And in this podcast, she shares her story, where it all started. As she said, Fortune, luck, and what makes you as a person is that key differentiator. And when we delved into the very things that allowed her to dig deep on her resilience, it was very much around the bravery to face your reality and to actually take ownership of that. It's around the bravery to work through your options with what you have now. It's that bravery of not hiding and staying invisible and surrounding yourselves with others. Um, Staying alone doesn't get you anywhere. And finally, the bravery to actually uh, rethink and add structure to your days to help you each day take one step forward. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. She's absolutely survived an incredible downfall with determination and skill. And now, whilst building her new business, Benchmark Experts, which is all about providing expert witnesses in the uh, medical, engineering, and work health and safety space to law firms, she's also a speaker and an author who is passionate about helping other people find the resilience, uh, understand that they can take ownership of the choices that they make, and learning the skills to deal with change to help see the light at the end of the tunnel. Please enjoy this latest episode with Antoinette Colburn. Well, I am super excited to have on the show today uh, the incredible Antoinette Colburn. She is somebody that's come into my world recently. And um, it was only when I started understanding her story and then subsequently reading her book that I went, I've got to get this woman on the show. So Antoinette, thank you so much for being brave enough to say yes and join me on my show. How are you today? Very well. Thank you, Janine. Look, I wouldn't hesitate. (laughs) It's just a (laughs) great opportunity, really great opportunity. Thank you. Well, I'm so looking forward to sharing your story with our listeners but before we do let's let's um just do some quick fire questions so they can find out a little bit more about you um so where are you from where were you born Antoinette okay so I was born in in a town at the time in the 50s called Queanbeyan which uh, is now a city <laughs> um but Queanbeyan's right next to Canberra so for any of our uh, listeners from far afield uh, they position Canberra and uh, Queanbeyan's just outside the ACT border. It is part of New South Wales, but that's exactly where I, I was born and where I grew up. And then I went to school for a couple of years in Goulburn, which is about an hour away, um, and then Canberra and the rest of my time has been in Sydney, where I reside now. 
Well, thank goodness we we met in Sydney. I've been to Queen Bean a few times actually, as uh, we had some family friends that lived down there for yeah. a while, and uh, I quite like taking the kids to Canberra. There's so much to do down there. Yeah. So, um, can you remember what your first job was? So my first job, my first casual job, was uh, when I finished school and I was waiting for uh, university placements and so forth. So I got a job in the George's Electrical Store. And uh, they sold, uh, you know, small electrical kettles and irons and all that stuff. And I was quite excited when I was nearly 18 as I finished school uh, with this first job because um, uh, I thought, oh, great, I can play on a cash register (laughs) and I can sell things and I might be able to wrap them up because uh, the timing, of course, was late November, so it was sort of coming into Christmas. But in fact, uh, no, it was kind of a, a big store as most electrical stores are and they've got a central cash register. Um, and so I lasted the, the one-year holiday and then the following 12 months um, they asked me to come back again and I said, look, no, I've, I've had that experience but I'm going to go on and study now. And they said, oh, well, we, we, want, we want you to come back so we'll promote you, we'll put you in the accounts section. <laughs> But uh, but I, I didn't. I, I thanked them politely and, and off I went. And then after that, my first real job was in the Commonwealth Public Service um, in Canberra, which, you know, came out of a course that I did as a fill-in thing after Teachers College. Um, and uh, two of us were asked to join the public service out of the class. And so uh, I had no intention of going near the public service, but I ended up there. <laughs> Isn't it funny when we uh, yeah. when we look back and we go, how on earth did I, I end up here? And it's, it's um, yeah. wonderful how circumstance gets you there. Yeah, it's sliding so, um, doors, sliding <laughs> doors, yeah. How, how do you think your, your childhood or the area in which you grew up, Antoinette, how do you think that has shaped the person that you are? I think um, the reason we lived in, in Queanbeyan, which was, very much a rural town in those days is because my father was a wool buyer and uh, so so he would go and buy wool from the farms all around that district um, and the people, you know, nationally in Australia know that the snow fields are only about an hour and a half away um, from, from that area. Um, so I think really it was a question of um, really good work ethic that both my mother and my father had. Um, he worked extremely hard. My mother had six children, so hers was the old home duties uh, tag, um, as we know it. And so she raised children and did ev- absolutely everything for us, including, you know, climbing trees and picking fruit and bottling it and and all our clothes were, were sewed by my mother. So both of them had really fine work ethics and I think it was clearly in the genes. Um, my mother had come from a, a farm in Victoria. Um, and so I, I think being in a town like that, um, which was always considered the poor cousin of Canberra because Canberra being the national capital had absolutely everything that opened and shut. And I went to school in Canberra, so all the kids would have, you know, uh, brand new government buses to get on and whatever, and we'd have probably one service or two services a day uh, back out to Queanbeyan, which was only 10 or 12 minutes from the school. But you you got very used to sort of um, as the poorer cousin uh, sort of, you know, almost looking at envy with what your classmates had in terms mm. of facilities in their suburbs and on weekends and things like that. So I really think it it was it it made a huge difference to me in terms of capacity for work. Um, you know, I've always volunteered and I've always been the one to say, yep, I'll do it, you know, and this sort of stuff. Um, and also tenacity. I think I got those things very much from my mother and father and having to share jobs with uh, five other children. And so you had um, a quite a successful career um, in, well, various things. You've worked in politics and human resources with hotel chains. Uh, what did you learn through those years? Did you have a particular uh career interest or something you you were pursuing at that time? Well, you know, it was quite a mixed bag for me, Janine, because 
Um, this job in the public service, uh, as I said, uh, just happened by default because two of us were chosen by them uh, on recruit. Um, that led me then to a position on a ministerial staff in Parliament House at the federal level. So um, I, you know, I used to sort of um, control a machine, a fax machine, but in those days oh, somebody would ring the phone and you'd answer the phone mm. and and you'd have to put the paper in to receive the fax. <laughs> and so quite often at half past five or quarter to six around that time, there'd be a call from the minister's office. So I was in the Department of Social Security and the minister was Margaret Guilfoyle then, uh, Dame Margaret Guilfoyle, in fact. But um, she, uh, her office would ring across and say, we need to send you a fax and we need this done. Uh, can you stand by the machine? You <laughs> know. It's almost unbelievable when you think about everything that happens around the world overnight through machines, yeah. you know, whether they're, whether they're on or not on, this type of thing. But you had to actually physically put paper in to receive a fax message back then. And so this person ran the ministerial office for Margaret Guilfoyle, the Minister for Social Security, and one day he rang me up and he said, look, I'm moving to another minister's office, the Minister for Health, um, and we need a bird, a bird. We need a bird to come and join our staff. Did he and actually mean always, like a female? <laughs> yeah. He said we've always, always been just amazed by the fact that you helped us all hours, you know, after everyone else had buzzed off. And he said I'd really, really like to interview you for this job and introduce you to the minister. And so I said, oh, okay, well, look, that's that's fine, but I don't know what you look like. Um, he said, no, I know, but come and meet me in, in uh, King's Hall, as it was in the old Parliament House. Um, come and meet me in King's Hall. He said, this is what I look like. And um, he said, well, you and I'll have a preliminary interview and then I'll take you and, in, and you'll be interviewed by the boss who was the minister. So that's, you know, I've been really fortunate in my career in that I suppose I suppose it's it's fortune, luck, and also what makes you as a person. Mm. So, of course, if you're around and available and you can do something efficiently for somebody, um, which is not your not wasn't my task. I just happened to be there when the others had gone and the damn phone rang on the fax mm. machine and off I popped and, of course, it was often this fellow. <laughs> Sometimes it was another office wanting something, you know. And so out it. of that came an opportunity for this interview. Now, once I had the interview with the minister, he was Minister for Health and also this chap, David, I thought, wow, you know, I really wouldn't mind this job. I knew it was long hours and hard work, but it was quite exciting being on a personal staff of a minister. Mm. And I still to this day say that had huge impact on me um, as a, what, 23-year-old, I guess I was in the end when I started. Um, and, you know, parliament was sitting, bells were ringing, and I'm on a learning curve. You had to learn very fast because no one's really got time for you to catch up when parliament's sitting. And anybody who looks at parliament now knows just the pace at which you work. But that was tremendous for me. Um, yeah. And then after that, I was also um, given the opportunity to go for an interview uh to meet the managing director of a hotel chain in Sydney and that was the Australian operation for Radisson US um which is also all around the world and um they actually created a position for me because out of politics I decided I wanted to do something different so I went into human resources and out of that interview with the managing director um I managed to get the job as a corporate HR person for Radisson Australia. And that yeah. took me overseas to America and I also finished with them in Asia. Um, wow. So, uh, so this opening, is, opening hotels. The, so your life, you know, you went from 
this little girl growing up in Queen Bean to yeah. traveling the world with hotels. Yes. Your life to the outside world was amazing, wasn't it? I was reading your fabulous book, Great Handbag, Don't Forget Your Briefcase. <laughs> and the start of this book, you talk about your lifestyle, you know, cars, boats, beautiful oh, yeah. houses, not yeah. just one, yeah. private school for the children. Like yeah. life life was pretty damn good, wasn't it, yeah. Antoinette? Yeah. And, of course, <laughs> I didn't have those things at all. All my career was as a single person up until um, the time when I was married and I was I was doing other things. And then, of course, um, I had children and uh, my two girls and, um, and, and that's when we enjoyed that fabulous life, yeah, when they were tiny little people. Yeah. Now, the reason I'm loving this conversation and where we're going to head next is – your your story and it's it's fascinating some of the things that you've said there about learning fast about um, that comment fortune look look there's my Yorkshire English accent coming out luck fortune luck and what you make uh, what it, and what makes you um, as a person are the very mm. things that take you on the journey and I want to talk about um, the story of essentially how life changed overnight and it's a story yes. that that you share very openly with so much heart and so much vulnerability in in your book great handbag don't forget your briefcase and I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners that um like what happened it's your story to tell not mine what yes. what actually happened so we were going along beautifully and uh we had the opportunity to um to go and look at a, a house, a, a real estate, um, still in the same suburb in Mossman in, on Sydney's Lower North Shore. And um, as we went off to have a look at this place, we were ooing and ahhing and whatever about how grand it was, not because it was a massive castle-type house, but it was just a beautiful home that had been owner-built um, and he was a, a top builder as well, so he knew what he was doing. So we went off at someone else's suggestion. Of course, we fell in love with the house and, and we ended up buying it. Now, at the time, we had a business that provided um, expert witnesses in the medical sphere for insurance companies to look at workers' compensation, um, victims of workers' compensation, and um, that had been a very big field uh, with service providers such as us to get the doctors to, to interview and consult with these patients, if you like, um, patients slash claimants. Um, now, over time, the New South Wales government, which was in charge at the time of that jurisdiction, changed the law. So it meant that people had to be very, very badly injured and impacted in order to continue to get workers' compensation payments. So they slashed the percentage um, to a point where unless you were sort of almost carted off in a wheelbarrow, you couldn't get compensation. And the level of compensation that the government had given victims of workplace injury has really never returned to what it was. So with that, our business changed. We lost 40% within three months because suddenly the numbers of appointments that we put together um, for people to be examined for workers' compensation claims just went. It just went because so many of them were nowhere near uh, the stage of being able to be examined because they didn't fit the new criteria. So, of course, anything that we had purchased this house, a beach house, etc. suddenly, unless the income had kept going, suddenly it had to go. And when I public speak about this um, to mainly women's groups, but I certainly have plenty of men in the, in the groups as well, I say to them, it's, it's kind of like having lay-bys. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned term, but it's still, they still exist. But if you have lay-bys on six items and suddenly the income stops, you haven't got the money to pay off the lay-by. So they've all got to go. And so we had to shed property. We had to shed, um, well, the boats and things that 
to me that's kind of an extra. That's not even really necessary stuff, but it's lovely if you've got the lifestyle and you can maintain it. But the the real estate was the hard thing and the hardest thing of all, Mm. the hardest, toughest thing of all is when you lose your home. Now, we didn't lose it because the bank grabbed it. We just had to sell it. And so you sell these things often for less than the market value because they have to go because nobody, no provider of finance, particularly our four major banks, is ever going to sustain you through that when they can see you're in your own business and that business has suddenly changed. So life so changed overnight, dramatically it? overnight. Yeah, overnight you went from significant wealth yeah. and comfort yep. to suddenly having to dig deep personally, yes. unravel life and find the cash is that is that fair to sort right. of as a summary you had to find you had to work out what you could do with what you had left yeah. um and that you know really that is an incredible position to be in because suddenly all your choices have gone and i think that's what i still miss most of all so many of those choices where you had a choice to say all right let's go on a family holiday let's do this let's do that that all goes Mm. And and one of the toughest things for me was um, leaving the house, the family home, and then having to scratch around and find a rental property. Mm. Now, we moved eight times in 11 years into rentals. Mm. And the girls with us, of course, my top priority was to try and keep them in school, which we managed to do. Um, but... To, to have to go to have to find a rental place you've no longer got your own home and you're at the mercy of landlords you've got a very tight budget etc that's just so tough in fact it's indescribably tough because it eats away at you and you you know I I sometimes would wake up in the morning and just surrounded by damn boxes and that's okay if you're moving to a brand new, house or you've just renovated something or whatever that's a that's a period of excitement but if you've got to bring your goods and chattels with you and then you've got to get rid of half of it because you don't have any room to store it it's really tough because you suddenly think think, oh my goodness this is real and you you think about that time you've got to find an inner strength otherwise you can absolutely crumble and I was determined not to do that so just before we come on to the, the turnaround piece, there's a couple of places I want to just go because there may be people listening right now that um, as a result of where we're at um, in terms of we're recording this in 2021 and we're seeing such significant impact around the world as a result of all of the changes that are going on from a health uh, financial, economic perspective, etc. Can you can you remember the moment, like one of the lowest moments, and maybe share with our listeners what what that looked like at the time? Because I think sometimes it's really hard to comprehend um, exactly exactly where it got to. You know, I I can particularly uh, remember a moment in in our family's life where. Um, as a result of circumstance of my husband's company going into receivership, me being in startup world, um, literally was this moment in time where there was literally $50 left in the bank. That's it. And yeah. some of the decisions that we had to make around selling up, moving into the shittiest house and the shittiest street and all that sort of stuff yeah. became very real. Can, yeah. Is there a moment that you remember going, oh, my God, this is real? Because yeah. I'm sure it didn't happen over, like it happened overnight, but mm. the realisation mm. of how serious it is, mm. was there a moment that you went, oh, my God, this shit's real? <laughs> yeah, I did um, because I remember one day uh, we had just moved, I think it was the second rental, and I decided that the first one was just too expensive. Um, and we, I, I just had to try and budget down, deep down, even further to keep us afloat. And because my husband, you know, had to really, had to shed staff and, 
and shut the door, although his his son ended up taking it over and does something else with it now. But um, I was the one and I I realised that. Um, Suddenly I thought, my goodness, this is going to be up to me and I've got to somehow with these two girls in school, I mean one was in sixth class and the other one was in about year eight, um, and so they they were still quite young and at a very influential time in their lives. Mm. Um, and I just realised that I, I was the one who had to carry the load and I was really the one who had to dig it, dig us out of it. So there was a morning I was washing my hair in the shower and my husband had taken the two girls to school and I just couldn't stop crying. And here I am with the water running down, you know, washing the hair, and I hit my lowest point because when you look at a packing box, (laughs) it kind of flings you in depression anyway, sometimes because people just haven't unpacked and they're still there a year after their move. But in this case, because the walls were lined with the damn things and I just thought, oh, my God, where where are we going to go? So... I really, I, I got out of the shower and I sat there in the towel, dripping wet and stuff, and I just thought, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. I don't know that I can do this. I don't, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I don't know what the solution is. It is a dire situation when it happens to you. Um, and a friend of mine suggested in the holidays which was probably just around the corner for the girls that we went up to her apartment on the Gold Coast in Queensland in Australia and um I was and and so I did I said that'd be just lovely thank you and I couldn't stop crying because (laughs) she was she said well we'll go out and I've got to get some furniture I'd love you to help me look for some furniture for my apartment here and we've got to replace things and so every time you look at a piece of furniture and you think of a beach house you collapse into tears now for some people you know some people think well okay you haven't got a terminal disease it's only furniture and it's only bricks and mortar that's very very true and they're the things that you kind of have to remind yourself of but when you're going through it it's it's not just bricks and mortar or a fabulous house and now you're scratching around looking for a rental, it has the it has the capacity to change you and your thinking because you've lost your roof over your head. So suddenly it's a flight or fight mentality that takes over because you realise that there goes your security. Well, and right. so and everything that you dreamed of, right? Everything you for. dreamed of, but not only that, the things that you felt you didn't have to worry about were suddenly part of your every day. Mm. And sometimes I would wake up thinking, I wish I just wish I didn't wake up today. Mm. And it wasn't a it wasn't a feeling of suicide. It was a feeling of total um loss and and where to from here? And and you feel in those moments you feel very, very alone. And you know you're not, but you just feel so alone. Um, and so Antoinette, so those two how did you, Yeah, so how, what changed? How did you manage because now you're running uh, your own business? Yes. You're running a business called the Benchmark Expert, so you've gone back into that business of providing Correct. expert witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're you're still working. You're still uh, looking for clients and developing that business. And mm-hmm. um, you know you've you've somehow managed to move, evolve from that moment in the shower with tears pouring down your face, washing your hair. Sorry, to where you're at now. What what do you think happened? What what changed? What did you do? I think when I was up in Queensland for that uh, that few days with my two girls, um, my friend said to me, you, you know, you can't go on like this. You've you probably got to get some help. And I said to her, yeah, I think I do. I really think I do. So I was determined when I got back after those few days to get on to my GP and say to my GP, this is what's happened to us. 
And the GP, who is still my GP, I've been with for 40 years or something, long, long time, through two pregnancies and miscarriages and you name it. And um, I just went to her and, and and, and she said, I know, you just want to stop crying. And I said, yeah. So she got me to a psychologist and I got some help and that was my turning point because Mm. that person instilled in me some of what you've instilled in me, Janine, through your fabulous Elevate program um, by sort of saying you've got this, you can do this, you can come out of this and I'm going to give you the tools to help you do that. Mm. Now, that's what you have done, and you and I have only known each other a short time, although I've followed you forever. But my GP did the same thing. Yeah. It's going to be all right. I'm going to help you, but this is what I want you to do first. And when I went and had my regular sessions with a psychologist, it was a, the, the opportunity for me to download. And I'd just download, download, download. I might say the same thing once a month, every month, and shed the same tears. Those people are trained to put up with that. To the point where she said to me after 12 months, I don't want to see you again, you're fine. (laughs) And I said, "What, what, what, what? So that turning point when someone said to me, reach out, and I say this as I speak, and I've said this in the book, you can't do it all alone. And it's like the reminders you give us in our Elevate sessions where you say a lot of you girls are working on your own. You can't do it on your own. Reach out, get support, get help, get a mentor, whatever fits the bill. And from that point on, I was determined that I was going to be okay. But Mm -hmm. it took other people to tell me and the psychologist in particular to sort of say to me, you're going to be okay. Look what you've done. She said, look at the career you have had where people have asked you to come for an interview. People have formed a position for you. They've created a job for you that they actually hadn't had before because they've been impressed with you from the get-go. And so a lot of this stuff because you're so deflated and you're so rotten to the core and you just cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how many times people tell you to look for it, you can't damn well see it. But it's when somebody has got um, an interest and a belief in you that you grow that belief yourself not even grow it, but you kind of get it back again because I I didn't have, I, I felt as if I'd lost so much of my personality, credibility perhaps as a speaker because I used to speak and train in my hotel career, um, all of those things, and suddenly you've got to get them all back again. Mm. So, yeah, it still takes love- the individual to do it, but somebody just puts faith in you and believes in you, and they tell you. That's why I think it's so important that we all tell other people what we think of them Mm. in a very positive way or congratulate them for something they've achieved Mm. because often it's hearing from another person that sets you on the right path. Oh, you are so right. That concept, I've just written it down, of it's almost like let someone else see you. Yeah. and, you know, we hear it all the time with individuals who had a conversation this morning doubting that they're good enough even though someone had sought them out for a job. And yes. we we forget about all that history to date. Yes. And what I, you know, what I love, I want to, you know, you've written, uh, essentially you, you've said it was a quite a cathartic book to write, great handbag, don't forget your briefcase. Why, why did you feel you had to write this book? Um, because I'm imagining that uh, having read it, it, it's, you know, that key message of let let someone else see you to unleash that opportunity for you to step into your brilliance again. Um, but from your perspective, is what I read. So from your perspective, great handbag, don't forget your briefcase. Why, why did you write it? Why did you feel that it was a book that you had to write? 
Because I think um, when you have that terrible feeling of emptiness and hopelessness, with that comes anger. And I was I was angry with my husband. I was angry because he didn't do anything behind my back. He didn't, you know, go and buy houses or anything like that without my knowledge. But he just didn't engage me enough to say, let's the two of us look at this and let's look at the risk factors. What if, mm. what if COVID hit in 10 years' time? What if suddenly the, the business that we're in was no longer? What if, what if? That was never discussed. And if I raised anything, he would just say to me, don't worry about that. I've got it. I've got that in hand. Well, that just doesn't gel because mm-hmm. what you have to do, any decisions that are made in a business partnership or any decisions that are made in a bed partnership, <laughs> which I heard a couple of years ago and I think is a very funny point. Mm-hmm. Um, so a personal partnership those decisions must be joint decisions. So with the anger, I had to have a release and the best way for me to release it was to write it down. So I, it took me two years to write it and I would write whenever I thought of something and then I structured the writing and I'd do about an hour a day and that's how I got through. And so thinking about your key messages in the book and the life that you have led, the highs and the lows. And as I said earlier, there are very likely to be people listening to this podcast that are currently experiencing their own version of losing everything or overnight things changing. If you could summarize, you know, let's say top the top three things that you would give as advice to anyone, male or female, to get through, um, what, would you, what would you share? What advice would you share? I think I say this to my girls too who are in their early 20s. I think it's important to uh, live, live your life in terms of your capacity to earn and save and invest almost as if you're going to be a single person. So mm-hmm. kind of do it as a younger person, as you can afford to, get into a property, make sure it's affordable for you and the repayments are affordable for you. But the sooner you can get into something and start paying it off, therein lies your nest egg. So that's the first thing I would say. And I, it, it doesn't even matter if it's at the bottom of the country, Um, just start to get into something. That's a key thing. The other thing that I would say is that you, in a discussion with a business partner or a personal partner, you drive that person nuts to the point of probing so far into the conversation so that if it's suggested that you should buy this house or something is affordable and you've got doubts, and often this comes from women because at the time I was a part-time worker, I wasn't, you know, in, in the practice. I wasn't there full-time. I was bringing up little kids. But you kind of leave it, and we did leave it historically, and there'll be women all around the world that can relate to this comment, left it historically to our men folk to manage the finances. Now, that's okay if things go beautifully, but if suddenly it lands in your lap, you've got to be able to say, okay, I was part of that. I said that was okay. Many a time we don't. So make sure you probe sufficiently to get the answers to the questions, whether they be positive or negative, and drive that person nuts until you're satisfied that you've got the answers. And if you still don't feel good about something, don't agree to it. Just say, no, I'm not ready to do it, whatever it might be. The other thing, the third thing that I would say, don't take advice from anyone you don't respect. Just don't do it. So that can be a real estate agent. They might say, oh, you've got to buy it because if you don't buy it, we've got six more behind you, you know, that are going to take it over. Don't do it. If it don't Mm. feel right, don't do it. Don't do it because there's always going to be something else. So they would be my three things. They're not common things but they're kind of things 
that pointers that don't necessarily present themselves as the stereotypical type. They are things Mm. that you need to really search in your own mind for just to say, okay, not happy about it, evaluate that risk, still doesn't feel right, don't go ahead. And if you find yourself in a position like I did where things do land in your lap, Equip yourself with skills. Keep your skills base going, particularly for women, so that if you do have to turn around and become an employee or if you do turn around and start a a small business to replace what you had, you've got a skill set which is commercially available for someone who might be able to take you on. You love that. So that that constant need to keep constant need to keep ahead of things. You can't lie back and let it sweep you up because it will and it threatens to. You've got to know. Yeah, you've got to know that you can step up and do things. So you've got to equip yourself in order to do that. And what about then that flip side of getting out of it? So like you said, mm. that one I, that one idea of making sure you're constantly equipping and upskilling. Yeah. But have you got any advice that you would share in terms of getting yourself out of that hole? Like you shared, the equivalent of the crying your eyes out whilst shampooing your hair. How? What tips, what ideas, what thoughts have you got that you can share with our audience about changing the trajectory, sure. changing the downward into an upward mm. spiral? The, the first thing I'd say is you, you must face the reality of the fallout. That is really, really important. Psychologically, we cannot go on and mend unless we're able to assess the fallout. So as tough as that is, as unpalatable as that is, mm. look at it. Write it down if you want to, or just go and talk to somebody. And and by that I mean some you know someone in the medical profession, like a psychologist. All of those things are available uh, in Australia anyway. You can do all of those sessions through Medicare, so you don't have to be a a, a, a very wealthy person to get help. So you once you've established the fallout, then you look at the skills that you've got. You look at the finance you've got left if you have any. And sometimes it's zero or 50, as you were talking about, Janine, $50. Mm. Um, Work out the skills that you've got and what you think you can do with those. One of the key things that I tell people when I speak, join groups Mm. because you are so feeling alone, even though you've got a husband and kids or partner or whatever you've got, the moment of feeling alone is just exemplified to such a point um, that you you really need to have people around you. Now, the wonderful things that you do, Janine, and and even this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance, out out of these podcasts, out of the training, out of the coaching sessions, all of us gain so much from the person who's delivering it, but equally the people who are also on the call with you, on the Zoom with you, in the classroom with you. You get so much from others. So for me, I could see that I needed to, okay, get into part of the business not affected and do something with it for survival because survival is key. Mm. The other thing that I needed to do was surround myself with women, more so than men probably, who were able to give me advice because of situations they'd been through. Mm. Now, I still say don't take advice from people you don't respect because I think that is a really key thing. But from the people you're learning with, you can learn so much from. And so an exchange of stories in a group is a great thing to do. The other thing that I think helped me was exercise. So I joined a Pilates class I pretty much exercise myself anyway, but to be able to join a group such as that where, where, you know, twice a week you do a class together and have a coffee or whatever after, suddenly you realise, oh, gosh, I'm a bit popular or, gosh, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. (laughs) That's the only way 
that you can really build resilience because you've still got the task at hand. That Mm. ain't going anywhere. You've still got to turn up every day and step up and face up. But Mm. surround yourself. I can't stress that enough because that was the way that I started to see the light at the end of a very black tunnel. Because there's so much, yeah, so, so much it in that. So much difference. Mm. It's, it's just so much in that. Um, you know, if we if we look at that initial uh, message that you had of fortune, luck, and whatever makes you as a person is the thing that gets you to where you are. Yeah, and if we, uh, you know, irrespective of losing everything overnight and having to rebuild. That same thing rings true, fortune, luck, and what makes you you as a person. Um, and your ability, I love those, essentially the, f- the four key things that you've you've shared there is, you know, one, number one, you've got to face your reality first. Mm. You can't hide from the reality and the courage that it takes to face your reality um, is often actually the f- very first step that you've got to take because without that reality, it's hard to know how to move forward. Exactly. The second piece around, um, you know, work out the options with what you have, uh, not work out the options based on a dream, but right here, right now, work out the options with what you have is that very action-oriented. And then the, the third and the fourth thing you said there, again, goes back to not hiding, surrounding yourself with others that, don't stay alone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I often say it's impossible to be successful alone. You cannot do this alone. And again, that takes bravery. It takes courage to surround yourself with others and to open up. And finally, you know, that that last piece, which essentially was around building some structure into into every single day, whether it be through exercise or connecting yeah. in with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like making every single day yeah uh, relevant but as i said everything everything is that you know that that line fortune luck and what makes you as a person rings through all of that because throughout all of that i hear courage i hear bravery i hear vulnerability i hear um it's almost like surrendering to this is what it is and i've got to get myself out of this yes and not be in a place of blame i've got a question for you who um who has inspired you throughout your life and who do you think of right now when you think about, you know, the person that either close to you or unknown but that has inspired you, that has given you that fuel to keep going? Who is that person? I think um, I think my elder sister, yeah, you know, there's 17 years between us because of the six kids, but um, she's a great believer in, in me and what I've done and, and achieved and and the downturns and the and the upturns and and now the fact that I'm still working flat out mm. you know trying to build this company she just oh you always love to challenge you'll be fine you know, that sort of stuff she she probably would be we we are uh, so we're bookends she's the eldest I'm the youngest but you know because we we are just so close and I think um, and I, I am with my other two sisters as well. But I think she's chief had to leave school uh, when I was born because my mother needed help. And so she resented me from, from day one because mm. she had to leave school early. Now, that probably wouldn't happen anymore, but it did then. And so she always says, oh, you little bugger, you know, I had to leave school because of you. Yeah. But I think. I think really she she's probably influenced me more than anybody else has because we have maintained that closeness through all these years. And the other the other person is is somebody who um, John Simon, who um, you know Aussie Home Loans, yeah. and um, I used to recruit staff for John, and um, I. I talked to him at the time when he had um, mortgage acceptance and, you know, he lost absolutely everything, as most people know, and uh, and then he created Aussie Home Loans and he discussed with me what Aussie Home Loans was going to be about. And I, as I look now, I mean, he's a very wealthy man now, and as I look at him now and think, wow, look at how you've turned things around for yourself 
um, incredibly. When I knew him at the time, uh, when, when you know, he just lost absolutely everything, his marriage broke up and it was just a mess. Um, and I just think, wow, look at you, you know, it's just it's just incredible. So mm. I suppose they'd be the, the two, but my, my sister, I think my eldest sister would very much um, be the be the major I person. I yeah. love that. Antoinette, this has just been the most heartwarming conversation, uh, jammed with snippets of golden nuggets throughout. And I want to thank you for writing your book. This this webinar is all about unleashing brilliance. I believe that, you know, everybody has way more potential in them than they ever think is possible. And I'm curious, what, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you? So I think um, I was very intrigued uh, by the, the title of this. Um, it, it's a powerful impacting statement, unleashing brilliance. So it really to me says you you are never, ever too old to be educated. You are never too old to share. And so for me personally, the capacity to get out there and share this story more and more, speak, you know, I could speak once a day. I love speaking. <laughs> I'm often told I have to sort of sit down. Um, but unleashing brilliance means using the talents that you've got, given to you by God or whoever you believe in, um, to be able to get out there and share your knowledge and your story and your background, whatever it might be, to make the life of someone else even that much more richer. So it's it's kind of unleashing brilliance just means that this is this is another little mountain to climb. And at the end of it, it's just going to be so, so rewarding. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you for sharing your story where can people find you where can they buy their your book where so can they find out more about what you do yeah so the best way to get the book is by going on to www.antoinettecolbran.com.au that's my personal website and they can order the book from there and that book can be sent anywhere around the world um so that's that's the best way to get to that um, and then any of my other goings on will be put onto that website as well. Thank you so much, Antoinette. It's Thank been you. an absolute pleasure to share your story. Uh, and I am super excited that you are now part of my world. And I look forward to, uh, to getting to know more about you um, as we spend more time together. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Janine. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I, I just hope that I've, you know, for, for those listening from wherever, that um, they too are able to sort of uh, take it perhaps as an example that uh, it is possible to dig oneself out of of the doldrums when these things happen, these things out of left field. Thoroughly Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Antoinette. Okay. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.